Hey, good morning. It was a beautiful time. Thank you, Mike. Love the story about Martin Luther. Got it. I agree with Mike because it's Martin Luther's testimony that he wasn't saved yet. He was serving as a priest unsaved because he was trying to work his way into heaven and pay for his own sins. And it wasn't until he really read through Romans that the gospel of grace flooded into his heart and gave him the freedom that he was longing for. And so if there are any here this morning under the heavy weight of guilt and shame and I'll never be good enough, and you're right, you won't. But Jesus said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and weary, and I'll give you rest, for my burden is easy. My yoke is light, the yoke oxen would wear. When you come to Jesus, he takes one yoke off, the yoke of self-righteousness, having to be perfect, having to be in control of everything, judging everyone and everything, and he replaces it. And some people think, Oh, he takes the yoke off and just lets you run free like that's freedom. That's not freedom. That's what got us into the mess in the first place, is wanting to wear our own yoke. He puts his yoke on us, but he says it's light because the burden of having to save yourself is gone. And there's now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now you're free to live a life of obedience, wearing that yoke and As you trust Jesus more and more, the yoke becomes very comfortable. And it goes from comfortable to precious to you. And so if you have not experienced that, we would want that for you this morning. And if you are saved and you're in Christ Jesus, but the yoke is still, I don't know, scratching at you, it's it's because you're still fighting against His Lordship. Surrender and trust Him. He's good. He's loving. He is faithful. Be thankful. This morning we're going to look at gratitude. That saving faith produces not only worship, which we would all expect, but gratitude. That worship and gratitude are inextricably linked to salvation. Worship and gratitude are inextricably linked to salvation. We don't often think of gratitude as a central doctrine of the Christian faith, but it is. We, we major on the correct doctrines as we should, the glory of God, His sovereignty, Christ, the God-man, the second person of the Trinity, His sinless life, His death, His resurrection on our behalf, that He is returning, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity that regenerates us and illuminates our minds. All of these things are true and we dwell on these as the major doctrines, but I don't think we even think of gratitude as a doctrine of the faith. And this morning, I want to help you see how central gratitude is to the Christian life. Let me read our story this morning, a familiar story. Jesus meets ten lepers. 
from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of our Lord. Gratitude. Where does it come from and why is it so rare? Have you noticed that our country doesn't seem to be very grateful. We're becoming an ungrateful people. Broken into little tribes or identity groups, as we say. Everyone with a chip on their shoulder. Everybody angry. Everybody mad because they deserve something and they're not getting it or they're oppressed. My oldest daughter is a a senior, she had to do a senior thesis, and her senior thesis was looking at American history and how it's either taught in such a way that America has been a force for good in a benevolent country, or it's been a force for evil and oppression, and what that ends up doing to you as a student, depending on which teaching you've sat under. And she came to the conclusion that if you have been saturated with teaching that you've been oppressed, that America is this horrible, oppressive place, that you will be an ungrateful, unhappy, bitter person in all aspects of life. But if you were taught that this isn't a perfect country, and that evil does exist, and there's things that need to be corrected for sure, but at the end of the day, there is great cause for thanksgiving and blessing, you will tend to be happy and grateful and optimistic and hopeful and even patriotic. And so, as Christians, we have to be careful not to lump our Christianity with our patriotism. But the correlation was there that she found. And I, I agree with her. She, she went and discovered that on her own, and I wasn't surprised with what, what she discovered. But let's take it out of that political realm and just take it into purely theological, our our Christian walk. Even those in the church who profess saving faith in Christ 
you will notice a big difference between those who are grateful and those who are struggling, mired in bitterness, self-pity, feeling like their glass is half empty, and not only half empty, but not really the drink I wanted. Not really the drink I wanted, but the carbonation has gone flat. And it just spirals down, down, down. And certainly, this can't be pleasing to God. We've all been there. We've all been there. So we're going to look at this story today, and I'm going to use it as a springboard to help us understand gratitude and why this is so important to God and so central to the Christian faith. But first we're going to start with faith. Premise, everyone has faith, but saving faith is different. It acts differently. Everyone has faith. Everybody has faith in someone or something. We're going through that trip video on faith. I know a couple other small groups have already done a video. And he acknowledges also in the video series that everybody has faith. It's the object of your faith that matters. The object of your faith is what matters. Not the size of your faith, not the amount of faith, but the object of your faith. Ten men, all with leprosy. As Nathan pointed out this morning, we live in a fallen world filled with evil and sin and suffering. Because of sin, there is illness in this world. Let me, let me be clear, and we've been saying this for the last few Sundays. These men didn't necessarily have leprosy because they sinned and the leprosy was the punishment. Illness is in the world, disease is in the world because the world has fallen because of sin. But you can't point to anyone's illness and say there is a one-to-one correlation with some sin in their life. And if they would just repent of that sin, they would be healed. That is utterly false. The book of Job teaches us that well. It's not only false, but it's cruel. It is cruel to tell people that they are afflicted with disease or suffering because of personal sin. Now, maybe, certainly poor life choices could lead to disease, and often does. But we don't know anything about these men other than that nine are Jews, one's a Samaritan, they all have leprosy. Isn't it interesting how people who normally would never go near each other how tragedy brings us together. Like, like for just a moment in, in, in Florida, there was no black, white, Mexican, Jew, Gentile, male, female. Just humanity enduring intense tragedy together. And we often say as a country, the best comes out of us as Americans in the face of tragedy. 
Too bad it takes tragedy and suffering to bring the best out of us. But it distracts us from all the things that are really not that important. It didn't last very long, of course. You know, CNN got on the scene and we had to be reminded what separates us. And as Nathan said, as Christians, we have the answer the world is looking for, Jesus Christ. He cuts through all the chatter, all the confusion, all the chaos with crystal clarity. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the narrow gate. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the answer to evil and sickness and disease and death. So here's ten men who all have leprosy and by Levitical law they would be outcasts, stay far away from the community. If anyone came near, they were to yell unclean. Until that time when they began to get better, then they would present themselves to the priest and the priest would examine them and declare if they were clean and that would take a period of eight days and then they could rejoin the community. We understand that there's, there's medicinal benefit there to keep a contagious disease away from the rest of the community. But there was a spiritual element as well. Not Again, not these men were any worse sinners than anyone else and therefore they have leprosy. The spiritual element was that God used the picture of leprosy as a word picture for the devastation of sin. That it starts on the inside and then we see it externally. So the external symptoms of the leprosy would remind people of the ugliness of sin, but that it started on the inside. And that we need to be cleansed from the inside out, and then the outside of the cup is clean. Very close connection biblically, God made clear of leprosy being a word picture for sin. Unfortunately, man in his fallenness twisted what God intended to be something that would point people to the grace and mercy of God that we all need, and they turned it into a legalistic affair where you guys are out and no one's going near you. No one's going to help. No compassion, no mercy. You brought this on yourself, and when you repent then God will heal you and you can rejoin the community. And we can't go near you because we don't want to be defiled. And not just medically, but I don't want to be defiled spiritually. Talk about adding insult to injury. Talk about kicking a man when he's down. Could you imagine being hospitalized in a containment ward and everyone well if he hadn't sinned and repent God will heal you and then we'll treat you like a human being again 
We know there's another story where Jesus actually reaches out to a leper and touches him, which one would think would have broken Levitical law, but those who were teaching the law read the law incorrectly because Jesus never broke a single law. Amen? So if he touched a leper, then he did not violate Levitical law. He came to fulfill all righteousness. God never intended for us to ostracize those who are sick or those who are sin sick. In this case, he doesn't touch the men because you know what? There's no formula. God heals when he wants, whenever, however, his timing, his way. Sometimes he heals right after we pray. Sometimes he heals after the elders anoint with oil. Sometimes he heals after confession of sin. Sometimes he heals us from things we didn't even know we had. And we'll find out in heaven and have all the more reason to glorify him. Sometimes he heals before the doctors even have a chance to discuss a treatment plan. Sometimes he heals after the treatment plan's been enacted. But don't be mistaken, if healing has taken place, it's because of God. Whether through technology or medicine, it's all supernatural. All glory goes to God. Whether he heals you in this life or the next. All healing comes from God. And so he just tells these ten men, go to the priests. Which is what you do after you think you've been healed to be declared clean. So Jesus was accomplishing two things here. By sending them to the priest. Number one, he was fulfilling the law and he was often accused of being a lawbreaker because he'd heal on the Sabbath and didn't wash his hands the way the Pharisees were teaching people to wash and so on and so on. And the priest would say, how did you get better? And they would give testimony that the man Jesus told us to go to the priest. And so Jesus would get the credit for healing according to the way it was laid out in the law. But notice that each of these men had enough faith to go to the priest. They had enough faith to cry out to Jesus, have mercy on us. So they all had faith. They all had faith. Everybody has faith in someone or something. And faith is tied to our desires. What each man truly wanted is a mystery to us. We don't know what's inside their hearts. But whatever it is each of them wanted, they assumed Jesus 
could deliver. Now, I think it's safe to assume they all wanted to be healed. But we know how the rest of the story ends, so it's also safe to assume that not all of them wanted a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mentioned when we take up our deacon's offering, we see this often, and it's heartbreaking that many want the benefits of Jesus Christ. They come asking for help or for money, and we offer a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they say, no thanks. See, don't you understand that there's something bigger than your electric bill? That you should be worried about. And something more glorious than keeping the lights on for another month. But we caution ourselves and we make sure we don't become jaded or crusty or callous. Because God saves in his own timing. And maybe it's not the third time you help or the fourth time or the eighth time or the 23rd time. Now we have some policies in place to make sure we don't enable anyone. But you get to know people. (laughs) And when the church runs out of benevolence money temporarily... Somehow the entire poor community finds out. And then when we have more funds, somehow they all end up telling each other. And the phone calls start up again. And again, you have to guard your heart not to get cynical. Because wasn't that you and me before Christ? Maybe not in those specific terms, but each day just looking out for myself and what I can get for me. So the ten men head towards the priest. And again, they had enough faith. I've got to back up one, Dave. Can you back up one? Thanks. There we go. They had enough faith to go to the priest. Now think about this. They weren't healed yet. And it would be quite embarrassing to show up to the priest saying, I think we're healed, when clearly you're not. And it's a long walk, too. But they had enough faith in Jesus to go to the priest. And somewhere along the way, they were cleansed. I wonder what that was like. I don't question... God's providence and his inspiration, but sometimes I wish there was like more to the story. Any uh, Paul Harvey fans in here? Remember, and that's the rest of the story. I want to know the rest of the story, but maybe that's part of what heaven's going to be about. We get to hear the rest of the story, and there's so many stories. That'll be wonderful. Oh, the stories Dave Gillette's hearing right now. I'm jealous. 
I, my day's coming. I'll just be patient, but I'm not sad for him at all. He's gone around shaking hands really tight. All the apostles. And so, on the way they're healed, they must have seen the change, or maybe in each other's faces, and the excitement and the joy, and all that's wrapped up in being healed, and what this means for them, no longer to be outcasts, no longer to be ostracized, to be back in community. That's the kind of joy we have when we are saved. We were Enemies of God. We were separated from Him. We were in darkness. We couldn't feel His blessing on our face. We couldn't feel His smile on us. And then we were cleansed by faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. And one man wanted to go say thank you and to worship. And nine wanted to follow the rules. Got to go to the priest. Got to wait in line. It's a long line. Got to get there. It's like the DMV. Want to get there early. It's going to take eight days. Let's get this thing moving. I don't blame them, but the illustration is what the Lord has given us because our common humanity sometimes tempts us to just make excuses for one another. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. I probably would have done that too. That doesn't make it right. This man, Christ Jesus, just healed you of an affliction that became your identity. You no longer were a human being. You were a leper. Come back and find out who this man is. You would want to stay as close as you possibly could to this person the rest of your life. But it tells us the nine had other desires of their heart. Maybe one couldn't wait to get back to his business to go make money. Maybe another was tired of the shame and wanted to get back to his place as a leader in his community. I don't know. I wish they would tell us more about their hearts, but the Scripture focuses this Focuses is, <laughs> is focusing us like a laser beam on the one man who returned. This was the man who had the right kind of faith. Remember what Jesus said in the sermon last week on forgiveness. If your brother comes to you seven times a day and confesses his sins, you're to forgive him seven times. And they say, oh Lord, increase our faith. And, and Jesus, in essence, says, you don't need more faith, you just need the right kind of faith. 
The right kind of faith is faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And when he tells you to forgive your brother seven times, you do it. Out of obedience and trust. Obedience because he is Lord and trust because he loves me and he wouldn't ask me to do anything that would be harmful to me. On the contrary, this thing that I don't want to do, I have the wrong perspective on it because I've been playing God my whole life and in my economy, I should hold on to unforgiveness, make these people pay a little bit longer. And Jesus says, forgive them now. If they repent, forgive them now. Oh, increase our faith. Have you ever noticed that we want to be able to do the things that only God can do? But the things he's commanded us to do, we don't think we can do those. We want to change people's hearts. We want to save people. We want to fix them. We want to bend them to our will. We want to organize the world in the way that makes sense to us. All of these things are only things God can accomplish, and he's much better at it than we are. He can see rightly. He has all wisdom and all power. We never ask for more faith to do these things. We just get up the morning and start doing them, trying to play God, trying to fix the world. It was cleaned up before I went to bed. Now it's a mess again. But then when it comes to the things he actually commands us to do, forgive one another, confess our sins to one another, oh, that's like moving mountains. I'm going to need more faith. In fact, we're almost blaming God for our disobedience. Well, if you want me to do that, Lord, you're going to have to give me more faith. And Jesus says, you don't need more faith. You just need faith the size of a mustard seed. That that kind of faith can move mountains. It can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey. Of course, that's not literally, that's a metaphor. That would be a huge mess if we all had the power to uproot trees and move mountains. (laughs) In our fallenness and pride, we'd start doing it. Just for the better view. But yeah, forgiving someone or confessing your sin can feel like moving a mountain. Because of our sin, our pride, our disobedience. We're commanded in the scriptures to be grateful. And yet I wouldn't say that gratitude is the first descriptor I would give of our culture, even our church culture. We're far better at complaining and grumbling. It's what comes natural. Something really good has to happen before we'll be thankful. We pray before meals unless the meal isn't really what we ordered or not to our liking we send it back first, and then when it, when it comes the way we like it, we'll, we'll give thanks. And that's kind of the way 
we approach life. I deserve better than I'm getting. And so now I'm not grateful. But when you approach life as I deserve nothing but condemnation from God. And instead in Christ Jesus I get justification. I get love. I get adoption into his family. Grateful people see the gap rightly. I deserve life to come in way down here, but God's bringing it in way up here. Gratitude. But when you say, I deserve life to come in way up here, and it's always coming in down here, no gratitude. It's that simple. And so where's the correct perspective? You've got to go to the Word of God and get the correct perspective. We don't have it on our own. We need the God of the universe to give us the correct perspective. So this man had the right kind of faith. Apparently he didn't think he deserved healing, but he got healing that day, and he came back to the one who healed him and glorified God with a loud voice and fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. This is worshipful behavior. And notice Jesus doesn't tell him to get up. This man is worshiping God incarnate. He is worshiping his God. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him. And of all things, he was the Samaritan. The other should have had better theology. But often we see it's the Samaritans, especially in Luke's gospel, who are responding to the gospel. The woman at the well was a Samaritan. So I said at the outset of the sermon that gratitude is a central doctrine of the Christian faith. And here's why. Paul puts it this way in his great systematic theology on salvation. The book of Romans, a a massive systematic theology on salvation. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They suppress the truth. And in this particular instance, we suppress the truth by saying, oh, no, 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 what's true is I deserve this, and God's only bringing in this. And when he starts delivering, I'll start thanking. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Out of all the things you would think, to put at the beginning of your list of reasons God is pouring out His wrath on mankind, who would have put ingratitude at the top of the list? And since it's at the top of the list, I contend that this is a major doctrine of the faith. And when you start thinking it through this week, you will see how this touches all of life. It makes all the difference. If you rightly see God for who He is, you will give Him thanks. If you don't see Him rightly for who He is, you will be ungrateful. If you have an ingratitude problem in your life, then you have a worship problem in your life. 
It's not a small thing. Well, some people are just happy and grateful all the time. I'm more of the moody, pessimistic. No. That's not what we're talking about. Yes, some people are a little more bubbly. Hi, Sharon. (laughs) And some people are a little more dour. I won't point anyone out. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about. Because you you can be a a little more sober-minded, downcast person, and still filled with gratitude, thanksgiving, and praise. We're not asking you to be Pollyanna here. And if you're younger than 50, go rent the movie. (laughs) The book's pretty good, too. Become acquainted with Carl Malden as a preacher. See, no one even knows who Carl Malden is, you know. I feel old. So I had this question this week. It's a chicken or the egg question. Which came first, the self-worship or the ingratitude? And you know, the problem with chicken or egg questions is you never do answer it because then it wouldn't be a chicken or the egg question. Ungrateful people don't worship God. Ungrateful people are unhappy. They're mired in self-pity. They're angry with God and other people. They constantly play the victim and demand all the things they think they deserve. And so when we do that, we are taking the place of God. We are judging. And we're saying, my judgment of the world is the correct judgment. And when we do that, God comes up short in our minds. This is what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. They had paradise. They had everything. They had everything that you long for. A perfect relationship with God. A perfect relationship with one another. Work that made sense. Paradise. And they were tempted to believe there was more and God was holding back. And if God's holding back, now they are sitting in judgment over God. So which came first? When we take the place of God, we become ungrateful. So did, do we stop honoring God and then become ungrateful? Or do we stop honoring God because we are ungrateful? And the answer is, I don't know. Yes, yeah. They go hand in glove. You, you, uh, you, you wrestle with this one this week. Look at your own life and see where you've fallen into ingratitude. We've all been there. Did you stop reading your Bible? Did you stop worshiping and then become ungrateful? Or did the ingratitude happen and then you slowly stopped reading your Bible and worshiping and praising God? All I know, though, is that the way to get out of this is twofold. Start rightly thinking on God and, and your salvation and how you deserved hell and you're getting heaven instead. And start praising God for everything. And, and they go together. Don't wait for the emotions to come that say, well, now I feel like being thankful. They won't come. You start thanking God because it's true that He is worthy of thanks and praise. And if the emotions come later, fine. I hope they do. Because it's weird to see people go, I am so thankful. 
<laughs> just doesn't match up. But sometimes that's where you have to start. And God melts your heart. The kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. Saving faith responds to Jesus with humble gratitude. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. And what's interesting in the Greek, the verb has made you well is sozo, which we normally translate saved. And I think it's the better translation. Your faith has saved you. Because all ten men were made well. But they didn't have the faith that brought them back to glorify God and worship Jesus. That kind of faith is the faith that saves. Your faith has saved you. We would never say to someone, your faith has cured you. Because how cruel to someone who is not experiencing a miraculous cure. Well, if you only had more faith. That is cruel to tell people. Your faith has saved you. Saving faith responds with obedience and gratitude. Oh Lord, increase our faith. You don't need more faith. You just need the right kind of faith and then be obedient. Just like forgiveness, just like Jesus is teaching on investing in winning souls, just like Jesus taught in the parable of the prodigal son, be excited about people repenting and coming back to the Lord. You don't need more faith to do these things. You just need faith in Jesus Christ and then rightly consider the world the way he considers it and the thanksgiving and praise will follow. Turn off the news and read the good news and be thankful, grateful people like our brother Dave Gillette. I'm going to end here, skip the rest of the slides, and read a poem Dave wrote. He wasn't always a happy person, I understand, from his family. God did a miraculous work in his heart. And he wrote this poem, which... Dave wrote a poem? Yeah. Spirit fills our hearts with songs of thanksgiving and praise. Thank you, Lord, for everything, the big things and the small. For every good gift comes from you, the giver of them all. Too often we accept, without any thanks and praise, the gifts that you send as blessings each day and in many ways. Make us more aware, dear Lord, of all your daily graces that come to us with sweet surprise from never-dreamed-of places. And help us to remember the key to life and living is to make every prayer a prayer of thanks and every day thanksgiving. Amen. Well done, Dave. And he's hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, I am sure. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for you. 
For without you, there would be no us, there would be no hope, no future. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for illuminating our minds and making us alive in order to respond to the gospel with saving faith. Thank you for your never-ending love, Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.